Uh, it's great to, to be back in uh, this space. I do want to uh, kind of prepare you, and I, I learned this lesson uh, several uh, years ago when I was uh, guest preaching at a church, so and I'll explain what I mean by that in a minute, but uh, this is a sermon about blood, okay? Uh, and uh, I, I just want to be uh, very upfront about that. It's not over the top or anything, uh, but I know from a guest preaching time that I did that some people are very sensitive uh, to the idea of uh, blood. And uh, I had a lady exit that sermon. She ended up passing out, um, out, out in the hallway, and uh, it was bad. All right, so, uh, so for ever since then, it's like, well, I just want to give people a heads up. I'm going to pray in just a minute. And if you're one of those people, like, I can't hardly stomach this, this topic sort of thing. You can uh, sit in the back or whatever and, you know, uh, be ready to leave when, when, when you need to. So... How's that for an intro? All right, so, hey, we're, we're really uh, glad uh, to be back in here. Um, we really believe uh, through the generosity of our people, we, we believe that God is uh, preparing our church for something, um, and uh, God is kind of doing a new thing, and it's, it's fun to be a part of, so we're, we're glad to have you a part of it, and um, we're grateful for your generosity that's allowed us to make a few changes in this room, and uh, it's great to be back in here together. So uh, let's pray, and then uh, we'll get into it. All right, Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for Jesus. Uh, we thank you for uh, his blood as we're going to study it together uh, and the difference that it makes. Um, I pray that we, um, all of us that uh, have given our lives to Jesus, we'd be encouraged by this message and the difference that his blood makes. I pray that um, anybody here that hasn't uh, would be motivated to put their faith into your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I, uh, I love creative people. Uh, I, I really, really wish I was more creative uh, than I am, uh, but creative people, they tend to see the world in a really unique way. I remember a, a good friend of ours, we would go see a movie uh, with him, and he's one of the most creative people I've ever met in my life, and we would leave that movie, and he'd say, man, I really appreciated that movie's commentary on the nature of good versus evil. And we'd be having this conversation, I'd be honest with you, I feel like an idiot because I thought the movie was about a grandfather's relationship with his grandson. I didn't realize this thing about good and evil was happening underneath the surface. You may have, ever, you may have experienced this with a really creative person in a book club where you get together for book club and you're, and you're talking about the book and some person says, man, I just loved uh, the, the message that that book had, that commentary that book had on the subject of existentialism. And you're thinking, I thought it was about a dog that was lost for three years. I, I, you know, I had no idea that was going on, right? That, that, that's just me. And, and it really takes off when uh, you're dealing with a creative person when it comes with their own creation. Uh, I, I love uh, people that paint. I'm really fascinated by them because I wish I had that skill. But I love going to art galleries with someone that's showing me their art. Because that what happens is they'll show you their art and then they can show you all the nuances of the painting and why they included certain details that, that they did. My, my son Sam is really artistic. As a matter of fact, multiple times a week, we'll be watching something on TV and he says, pause it, dad, pause it. And I'll say, all right, we'll pause it. What's going on? He said, I need to draw what I've just seen. And, and he'll go and he'll, he'll make a drawing about it and then he kind of walks us through why he drew it the way he drew it. And, and that's just creative, artistic people. Uh, open up your Bibles uh, to Hebrews 9. God is creative. So if you are a creative person, uh, that's part of your, uh, of your image that, that's made in the likeness of God. God is create, creative. Uh, the Bible says that God is the creator. Now the Bible, Genesis 1, uh, as you turn over to Hebrews 9, Genesis 1 starts with a poem, and the poem is about God's creation. 
God creating the heavens and the earth. And he created the uh, uh, light and the sun and the moon and the stars. He created the ocean and the land. Then he creates land creatures like giraffes and elephants and sea creatures like jellyfish and octopus. And then he creates man. And as he creates the man, he gathers together um, the dust of the ground and he kind of makes man into this dirt statue. And that from that point forward, there are two dominant themes in the Bible about what caused that dirt statue to become a living being. One is in the Genesis story and it's God breathed life into the dirt. Uh, God breathed life into that man and, and the man became a living being. The dirt statue became uh, a living being when God breathed uh, life into it. We need air. Right? We, we, need, we, we need oxygen to, to, to live, and it's true on a spiritual level as well, that we want God to breathe life into our church. We want God to breathe life into our marriages. We want God to breathe life into our families. We want God to breathe life into our souls. So that's one image, is God breathing life into man. The other image comes later in the book of Leviticus, and it has to do with the idea of blood. Uh, that, that part of what made uh, creation become a, a living being was that God filled our bodies with this thing called blood. As a matter of fact, in the book of Leviticus, God says life is found in the blood. That life and blood, the way that we live, try living without it, right? <laughs> right? Life, life and blood are interconnected in the creator's mind. This is why some of us get really, really queasy around blood. All right? uh, I don't get queasy, that, that queasy around it. I don't know about you, but I, I don't. But I'll tell you, I remember uh, back in college uh, during a basketball practice, I had uh, a class ring nearly rip this finger in half all right, uh, through, through an accident with my class ring. And there was a lot of blood. And I'll tell you, in my mind, I, w- I was looking at it going, this is not a big deal. Just get to the hospital. Now, it didn't help when I get to the hospital and the nurse looks at it and she's like, oh my, right? That, that's not... Yeah, that's not the reaction you want. But I'm looking at it going, this is not a big deal. Just get to the hospital. But my brain, that's my brain. The soul part of me is saying, that's a lot of blood. You're going to die. Right? So, so there, is, there is this association with us with, with life and blood. So let me kind of play this out in a spiritual level. We've done it with breath, that God wants to breathe life in, into things to give them life. The Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That every single one of us, if you come in here and you feel like, man, I'm a sinner, me too. All of us are. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all failed to live up to God's commandments. The Bible also says that the wages of sin, so all have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. But God, in his great mercy, God is a merciful God. In his great mercy, in the Old Testament, he developed the sacrificial system. And the sacrificial system is based on the idea of substitutionary atonement. So you can see the root word of substitute in there, that God would allow, that the, the, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, the wages of sin is death. God would allow that death or that blood to come from something else um, so, so people could find life with God. This is God in his mercy. So the Old Testament, when you read the Old Testament, it's bloody. The Old Testament is bloody. There are sacrifices and sacrifices for different types of sin because life is found in the blood and the wages of sin is death. God requires blood, but God does not require his people to pay the price. He allows a bull or a goat or a lamb to die in its place. This is the story of the Old Testament until Jesus goes to the cross. And on the cross, Jesus offers his blood 
as a substitute for ours. And the writer of Hebrews is gonna go on to show us what this blood accomplishes and why it's better. So let's read Hebrews 9, uh, starting in verse 11. We're gonna read uh, through 22. But when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through uh, the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say is not part of creation. He did not enter by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so they are outwardly clean. How much more than will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve a living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant and those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom and set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, It is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it because a will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes takes place while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command uh, of the law to the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop and sprinkled the scroll on all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In the same way, uh, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So I'm gonna be like a real preacher today and we're gonna work through some points, all right? Um, I don't usually kind of work, I mean, I like to make a point, but I don't usually work through one point after another. We're going to do that today because of how this text is laid out. But I want to show you what the blood of Jesus accomplishes for you and for me and why it's so important. So here's point number one. The blood of Jesus results in eternal redemption. All right, you probably saw that in the text. The blood of Jesus results in eternal redemption. So my son uh, likes Chuck E. Cheese, all right? Your kids or grandkids may like it too. Um, we were actually, we, we have a family tradition that we go to Chuck E. Cheese the Friday after Thanksgiving. Uh, that's one of our Thanksgiving traditions. So uh, one November, uh, we, were, we were going there and the previous January or February, we had gone to Walt Disney World, all right? And so we're at Chuck E. Cheese and my son says, Chuck E. Cheese is the greatest place on earth. I'm thinking I could have saved myself $3,000, and just brought him Chuck E. Cheese for a day, it, you, know, you, you know. So you know how Chuck E. Cheese works is that your, your kids go, they play games, uh, they earn tickets, and then at the end of the playtime, they take their tickets to a counter and they redeem those tickets for a prize that will break before you leave the parking lot, all right? That's how Chuck E. Cheese works, all right? So I love how the writer of Hebrews puts what happened at the cross. He said, Jesus, when Jesus died, he went into the most holy place and not the most holy place built by human hands, not the tabernacle or the temple, but he went into the actual most holy place kept in heaven. He went into the presence of God and he didn't enter the presence of God in that moment by the blood of goats and calves. He didn't do that. He entered by his own blood. 
He entered by his own death. And when Jesus entered the presence of God by his own blood and by his own death, you know what that many tickets bought? You know what that many tickets bought? That's a lot of tickets. You know what that bought? Eternal redemption for his people. The wages of sin is death. We, We covered that earlier. But the verse actually goes on. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life found in Christ Jesus. He entered into the presence of God by his blood, and he paid the penalty. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus, in his great mercy, offered his blood as a substitute for ours so that we could experience life, life now and forever. So the blood of bull and goats results in outward cleanliness. Here's the next point. The blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience. All right, so one of the things that happened in the Old Testament was law became religion. All right, the law became religion, and it became habit. It became rote ritual. So the people of Israel would go through cleansings and sacrifices and, and washings, and it just became ritualistic. It just became rote. It just became something that they, they would do. And so God would, would keep his end of it. He would forgive their sins. But what was happening in the Old Testament is they were going through rote ritual, but their hearts and their minds were not any different. And we want to guard against this even in the New Testament. I don't know about you. I grew up, uh, we, my parents were, uh, came to Christ the year I was born, and we went to church every time it was available. All right? We went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, if the custodian was cleaning the building, we took up our row and watched, all right? We, we were in church whenever it was open. And I look back on that, and sometimes that did become kind of rote ritual for me. It's just something that, that, that we do. And listen, sometimes just doing something because you, you, you should, doing something as a discipline is okay. But we want to make sure, especially in this New Testament era that we live in, that we understand that this is a relationship with God that we have access to. This isn't just rote ritual. This isn't just something we do. We are relating to God who wants to change us from the inside out. And I love how the writer of Hebrews says this. He said, Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice to cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. So he said, okay, so he's cleansing our conscience. So like, God doesn't want me to to feel bad about myself. Well, that, that's, certainly, that, that's certainly one application, although that's actually not specifically what this verse is teaching. As a matter of fact, the Bible would say that as we enter into sin, uh, feeling bad about that is what drives us to Jesus. It's actually a really interesting Greek word that is used here. It describes this internal soul part of us that distinguishes between right and wrong. So part of what the blood of Jesus does for you and for me is, yes, it forgives our sins, but the blood of Jesus also begins to cleanse this internal part of us that is determining what is right and wrong. He begins to change our heart. He begins to change our mind so that we do not choose, the scripture says, acts that lead to death or acts that lead to harm. Instead, we begin to choose acts that serve the living God. And so Jesus isn't just offering us forgiveness. He's changing us through his blood so that we can serve God wholeheartedly. He's changing us from the inside out. And we say this around here all the time. You don't just want to be forgiven. I don't just want to be forgiven. We want to be changed, right? We don't just want to be forgiven of our anger, although we want to be forgiven of our anger. We don't just want that. We want to be delivered from our anger, 
right? We don't just wanna be forgiven of our lust. We wanna be delivered from it. We don't wanna be just forgiven of our selfishness and our greed. We wanna be delivered from it. And so this scripture says that one of the things the blood of Jesus did from the cross and ultimately through his Holy Spirit that Scott mentioned uh, during the time of offering is he begins to cleanse the inside of us so that we don't choose these acts that lead to nowhere good. Instead, we choose acts that serve the living God, all right? The blood of Jesus covers all, all right? We get to verse 15, which is kind of an interesting verse, but remember uh, how this uh, book is, is written, that it's written to men and women who had converted to Christianity, and uh, they had grown up hearing stories of Abraham and Moses and Isaac and Jacob and all the, the patriarchs. They'd grown up hearing these stories, and now they're hearing about Jesus, and how Jesus is greater, and Jesus is better, and he forgives our sin, and he cleanses our conscience, and he does all this stuff that we need him. We need his blood, we need his grace, we need his power. We need Jesus. And so the question that began to emerge from these people that had grown up uh, Jewish was so, like if Jesus is the most important thing, then like is Abraham just kind of out of luck? Is Moses out of luck? Are, Are those guys... Uh, are, are those guys unable to be saved? What, what, what is the story with Abraham and Moses and, and all of these guys that, that God called to do these things from the Old Testament? And uh, what the scripture teaches is really interesting, that Abraham received what he received at the time that he received it. And he responded in faith. And, and uh, there's an interesting kind of thing that is said about Abraham. It says, Abraham, when he responded in faith to the things God asked him to do, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so what this text is teaching is that the grace of our Savior Jesus, the blood of our Savior Jesus, goes all the way back and responds to Abraham's moment of faith and, and, and gives grace to Abraham. So he's saying Jesus is saving not just people in the New Testament. Jesus is going all the way back and saving people in the Old Testament as well. His sacrifice is reaching back and it's saving Abraham. It's saving Moses. It's saving the patriarchs. It's saving um, all, all of those people. So the blood of Jesus, it covers all. And you can imagine how these people that grew up Jewish, we maybe don't think this way, but these people that grew up Jewish, they had concerns about this. Like, what happened to Abraham? All right, if Jesus saves us, if Jesus is so important, Abraham, Moses, Isaac, all, all these guys just know through faith, the blood of Jesus goes back. And I, I think that's just super cool when it comes to the grace of our Lord, that it can go all the way back to the Old Testament and save those who responded in, in, in faith. And I think this would apply you know, you always get the question as a, as a pastor and minister about like, what, ha- what about the guy that's in the far out tribe in Africa or some third world nation or, or whatever, and they've never heard the name of Jesus? I think this scripture would apply to them as well. That they, Romans says that you can look up to the stars in the sky and you can come to the conclusion that there's something more, right? And, and so they, although they haven't heard the name of Jesus, they can respond in faith and the blood of Jesus covers them through faith. Now, why I think that's kind of a distraction to, to, to us living today is you've heard of Jesus, <laughs> right? We, we like to talk about the guy that never has, but you have, I have. And so we are called and, and, and implored in the scriptures to respond in faith to Jesus, to put our faith into him so that we can find this life uh, and life to the full. So the blood of Jesus comes and it fulfills promises, all right? This is really interesting, I think, that I want you to know that in his covenant, when Jesus came and offered the new covenant, there's the old covenant and the new covenant. 
When Jesus came and offered the new covenant, it came along with the covenant, came promises to those who come to him in faith. So the writer tells us, the writer of Hebrews tells us, think about this as a will in verse 16, all right? A will is a promise or a covenant that someone makes to their heirs after they've died. Right? That's what a will is. A will is a covenant or a promise that you're making to your heirs after, you, after you've left this earth. Um, you, you may have a will. I, I, have, a, I have a will. And, and I'll tell you, I've got uh, some friends up in Michigan that they have a family member that had a huge estate, over a million dollars, and he decided to not make promises in a will. And uh, the only people that have been the beneficiaries of, uh, that, of that situation have been the lawyers, Right? They've been fighting about it for three and a half years. The family has. So you want, you want to make these promises in the form, in the form of a will uh, to, to your, to your, about your estate and, and to your heirs. So in order to initiate those promises, this is the hard part of a will, in order to initiate those promises to your heirs, somebody has to die, Right? In order for a will, to, you, you can't make a will and have it take effect when you're alive, right? So somebody has to die. A death needs to take place. And you're going to have to prove that death in court in order to, for those promises to be fulfilled uh, to, to, to your heirs. A will and a covenant cannot be initiated or executed without a death. And so the way this played out in the Old Testament is God made lots of promises to the people of Israel. Lots and lots of promises in his covenant. And goats and lambs and even birds shed their blood. And God accepted that death, and he initiated those promises in the Old Testament in, in his covenant and his will to his people. The way this played out in the story of Jesus is Jesus came, he, in, he initiates a new covenant that comes with promises. Jesus made you promises. Here's why this is so important. Upon his death, his will and testament took hold. And now, because of his death, the writer of Hebrews says, you now have access to receive all those promises. It's kind of cool, right? In order for a will to be received, a death has to take place. And so this is why the cross of Jesus is so important and why we don't just want to move on to the resurrection, that upon his death, upon his death, and then subsequent resurrection, but upon his death, his will was initiated. His promises were initiated so that his followers could receive the promises that he made. And so because of his death and because of his resurrection, you and I are fully free. We are fully free to receive every promise of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So can I spend just a few minutes and tell you a few of them? All right? I don't have time to tell you all of them because he made a lot of promises, but here's a few of them. John 8, 31. Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is the promise of freedom, that when you believe and place your faith in the truth, which is Jesus, we experience freedom from shame and guilt and regret and sin, that those chains are taken away and we walk in grace and mercy. John 10, nine through 10, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out and find pasture. The thief comes to only steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the promise of life. And I think it's important that we embrace this today, that when Jesus commands, when Jesus orders, when Jesus leads us in that way, he, Jesus is leading us to life. 
And so when we express our faith in him, we can know that he is leading us to life. He is leading us to life in the full. Truly, truly, or some of you uh, in uh, your uh, King James, verily, verily, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, so that the Father may be glorified by the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. This is the promise of answered prayer. That when we ask in his name and we are aligned with his mission and purpose, whatever we, he answers our prayers. And it may not always be in our timing. It's often not. It may not always be in our way. It's often not. But he answers our prayers. Jesus promises to do that. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that you may find joy to the full. This is the promise of joy, that we need this more now than ever. Our, our culture needs joy. We are so anxious and scared and angry, and we need to turn to our Savior Jesus and through his death, through his blood, receive his joy. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him uh, bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is the promise of fruit, that through the Holy Spirit, Jesus wants to change us from the inside out. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so this fruit is coming to us uh, through Jesus and by the Spirit. When that happens, our lives begin to change so that we can uh, find our mission and amazing things begin to happen. Uh, Revelation, uh, behold, I am coming to you soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, and then later in Revelation, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. This is the promise of return. That someday Jesus will return and he's not coming as a baby. All right, he's not. He's coming with fire in his eyes and a sword in his mouth and he's gonna come and rescue those who have expressed their faith in him and take them to a place of no more death or mourning or crying or pain. This is the will and testament. Not the last will and testament, all right? Make sure to keep that word out. This is the will and testament of Jesus. This is his will. His promises are his will. Uh, This is his covenant. This is what it's based on a promise of life and joy and hope and mission and, and fruit. And it is a will that took hold upon his death and his, later his resurrection so that because of the death of Jesus, you are free to experience every promise in Christ. I am preaching better than you're responding because this is, this is super cool, okay? It's super cool that, that this is, this is we, we like to talk about the resurrection, Easter's right around the corner, but this is what the death of Jesus accomplished. This is what his blood accomplishes, is that it allows us to receive his promises. All right, now let me kind of, we're gonna close with this. The blood of Jesus is better than the blood of goats and calves. And we're gonna finish out the text in verse 23. I, I, we'll read this right now. It says, it was necessary then Uh, It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, 
now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year uh, with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have to suffer many times since the creation of the world. He's appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and afterwards they face the judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of the many. And he will appear a second time and he's not coming to bear sin, all right? He's coming a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So he says, if blood was required, to bring about the old covenant and all the Old Testament promises, if blood was required from goats and and calves and birds, think about the blood required to bring about the new covenant with these new and better promises. This again is why the cross is so important, why the shedding of Jesus' blood is so important, because he was fulfilling something old and bringing about something new, something better. And here's the truth of it. It required better blood. These new promises, the ones I've shared with you, and more, required different and better blood. What it required was the perfect, holy, righteous blood of the Son of God. And he clears up an understanding here that a lot of Old Testament minds would have had. um, An understanding of the high priest entering the most holy place again and again and again. Every single year, they they would, Scott walked you through this in his message uh, four weeks ago, which was really, really great. But the high priest would enter again and again and again to make sacrifice for sin. And people were asking, if you grew up Jewish, is this how it works? That Jesus suffers again and again and again for sin. He enters the most holy place again and again and again for sin. And he says, no. He entered the holy of holies. He entered God's presence. And he made a sacrifice for sin one time. Once. He did it once. And he did that to do away with, uh, with, with sin for those who have put their faith in him. All right? So he just enters once. To, to make for the sacrifice, to make sacrifice for our sins, so that anybody uh, that anybody that wants to enter in can enter in. Here's why that sounds like a, a nuanced point that really isn't that important. Here's why him entering one time is so important, because what it means now is that that because that has covered everyone who has responded in faith. What that means now is that we are in an age of grace right now, where anybody that has done anything through faith in Jesus, can receive that forgiveness, right? If, if, he, if he just entered once wait, 2,000 years ago and he had to enter again and again and again and he didn't do that, that would mean only people that had expressed their faith in Jesus at the time could be saved. And, and the writer of Hebrews wants to make sure that, that it's clear that that's not what happened, that he entered once, but he entered once for everybody, So that anybody from all of human history that responds in faith to Jesus, anybody can enter into the presence of God by by having their sins forgiven because the wages of sin is death and Jesus has offered himself for you so that you can receive his grace and his new life and, and his hope. And this is for anyone who wants it. Anybody who needs grace, it's for you. Anyone who needs hope, it is for you. Anyone who needs new life, it is for you. You are invited in from Jesus. And it is a wonderful time to live right now. But listen, and I have to cover this because the writer of Hebrews covers it. Someday that this age of grace will end 
and Jesus will return. And notice that when he comes back, he's no longer bearing sin. Right? That, that's not, his job is not to bear sin. When he returns, he's returning to take those who've expressed their faith with him to eternity. And so right now we are in this wonderful age and this is the mission of the church. We are in this wonderful age called the age of grace where anyone who has done anything can come and receive grace from Jesus. And, and, and that's why he went to the cross. That's why he offered his blood so that you could receive all of his promises and all of his salvation and all of his grace. You're in an age right now where you can respond to him. Um, and uh, I know we have uh, Easter and, and Good Friday and all that coming up, and let me tell you something. It is a prime opportunity to invite someone that you're concerned about to church, uh, to, to hear uh, the, the message of the cross and the message of the resurrection uh, because of what that blood accomplishes. Um, and, and somebody that you want to receive those promises and to receive that grace and receive that salvation, have them here uh, at 8 o'clock or 10 o'clock. Uh, on Easter Sunday, and we'll, we'll share with them Jesus just like we do every week. So if you don't want to wait three weeks, you don't have to wait three weeks. You can have him here next Sunday too uh, to, to hear a message on, on Jesus and what he accomplishes. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus and we thank you for his blood. Um, when you read through the Old Testament, uh, it, was, uh, it, was, it was bloody, um, multiple sacrifices being made multiple times for multiple sins. And we thank you for what Jesus did, that he offered his blood. He offered himself as a sacrifice so that we could receive his promises, uh, so that his will would be initiated and enacted, uh, so that we could receive his grace and his new life. We thank you, thank you, thank you for Jesus and for that sacrifice. It's in his name that we pray, amen. I want to stand up. Uh, we're going to sing a, a song of invitation. And uh, I'll be up here. We'd love to pray with you. Um, if you're interested in, in hearing more uh, about Jesus, we'd love to begin a conversation with you about that as well um, as we sing this song together.